everybody. Welcome to Adoption Hacks. I'm your host, Candice Laycock. It's great to be back. I took a little bit of time off during December and January for some holiday stuff, but we are back now with some new, fresh episodes. And the first one of those is an interview with Alex Fitton, who is the host of another adoption podcast called The Adoptive Mom. If you aren't familiar with this podcast, definitely go subscribe now uh, because This is a wonderful podcast and resource. Alex does an amazing job of having a variety of topics and guests on who uh, she really goes in-depth with on these issues. She also does a ton of other stuff like newsletters and bonus episodes, so she's just got a lot, a wealth of information, so definitely check that out. On the episode today, Alex gets a chance to tell her own adoptive story. And it's so interesting to hear how her own personal journey went and how that led her into the Adoptive Mom podcast. And Alex and I are doing a little switcheroo on our podcast. She's on Adoption Hacks this week, and I'm going to be on the Adoptive Mom podcast in a few weeks. So that's going to be super fun. So thanks for joining us this week, everybody, and please enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Alex Fitton. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. It's so great to have you on. Um, for the listeners, this is Alex. She is the host of an amazing adoption podcast called The Adoptive Mom. Um, and if you like this podcast, definitely just jump right over right now and subscribe um, because you will absolutely love it. She goes uh, so deep into uh, people's stories and journeys and, and giving advice and support for wherever you are in the adoption circle. Well, hey, thanks for that intro. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so today we're going to hear about um, your your own personal adoptive journey. You're on the other side of the mic today, um, and you'll get to share that and also how you started your podcast. So I'm so excited to hear all about it. Yeah, it's uh, I love being on the other side of the mic, but it always <laughs> takes a second to adjust. I'm sure that you know what that means, how that yeah. goes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to ask me any questions. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, but no, we are going to do a little podcast swap. So Alex is going to be on Adoption Hacks, and then uh, soon I'll be on the Adoptive Mom. So that's going to be a fun little crossover for us. Yes, that's right. Okay, so um, tell us just a little bit about yourself and your family. So like you said, my name is Alex Fitton. I have four kids, and I'm married to Brian. And I, like you said, I host the Adoptive Mom podcast. And other than that, I am just trying to uh, keep the sanity in the house and <laughs> keep these crazy children of mine in line, which doesn't usually go well for me. So, Right. Um, so how did your adoption journey begin? Okay, um, so I have always wanted to adopt. It's been, it was really weird. My, my mom always joked that, like, we didn't really, I'm not from an adoptive home. Uh, my parents weren't adopted. We didn't really have close friends who were adoptive families, and so it really came out of nowhere. And um, I didn't really remember when this desire started, but she said it was probably in high school or something that I started talking about adoption Mm. and more specifically adoption of older kids. And Mm. so it was probably my, mine and my husband's second date when (laughs) I, 
like a crazy person was like, <laughs> I definitely want to adopt someday. And like, that's, you know, something you should totally spring on a guy you just met. But um, he was cool with it. So we rolled with it. We always knew that that was going to be a part of our journey. We knew we wanted to have biological kids as well, but that, you know, we wanted to adopt and that we wanted to adopt early. I think that both mm. of us had the intentionality that it wasn't just like a someday thing um, mm. that we were going to make that a part of our journey while our kids were young or before we even had biological kids or something like that. Uh, and so we had, we actually started the training to open our home for adoption through foster care when I was pregnant with my son, Grady, my, uh, he's five now and everyone looked at us like we were crazy and we were, uh, I was about, I was like seven months pregnant and we were sitting through the training and people are like, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, and so, we opened our home. We, we had Grady in December, and then our home opened in January. So January 2015 is where we're at in the timeline right now. Um, and we had several promising, you know, we went through the heart gallery for our state, and we reached out and inquired about several kids, and we were asked about several kids that just didn't work out. And um, it was pretty devastating just having to get your hopes up over and over. And again, remember, I, I was so passionate about adoption mm -hmm. and I was positive that this passion was going to carry me through anything hard that would come my way because I was so, you know, my heart was all in. Mm -hmm. um, every just, I, I say failure, it wasn't a failure, but every what felt like a failure that happened, we just had to grieve that. And then mm -hmm. it wasn't until um, May. So, I mean, remember we opened in January, we had new kids in our home. We, we were an adopt-only home. We were not a foster home, per se. And it wasn't until May that we um, that we met our son, Clark. Um, and he, it was a match. You know, we, we felt like he would fit in our family really well. And so we, proceed, we proceeded with that adoption. He moved in in August, the day after he turned 14 and the day before he started high school in a new town, wow. new family, everything. It was crazy. Um but we were, you know, again, this passion of mine was like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to get this, ha we got to make this happen. And, yeah. you, you know, looking back, I see my husband like trying to pump the brakes and be like, hey, maybe we should pray through this. Maybe we should, you know, all mm -hmm. these other things. And um, I was like, no, let's just, you know, let's, let's do this and plow through. And um, so we got him in our home. A week and a half later, I found out that I was pregnant by surprise. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So Grady and... Um, who was going to be Jane, our youngest, uh, we're going to be 16 months apart. So I was already just freaking out a little bit. I was like, we just got Clark in our home. I have a baby already. <laughs> like I am mm -hmm. still nursing. It was crazy. Um, but God was not done, which was insane. Um, so two months later we found out, we found out Jane was a girl. And then the, literally the day after, we found out she was a girl. We got a call that Clark's mom, his bio mom, had delivered another baby and abandoned him at the hospital. And so we were asked to adopt him as well. And DHS did not know I was pregnant yet. We were just like, okay, so make that three babies. What on earth? And it was it was just a really crazy time. Um, Clark had really started showing signs of some really hard stuff that he was going through. You know, we we, when we went through training and people said things like reactive attachment disorder and PTSD and secondary trauma, you know, we're like, oh, we're going to be fine because mm -hmm. we are so passionate about adoption. And, you know, but also we were like, we're definitely 
you know, check our box no for rad because that sounds insane. <sighs> and Clark had rad and mm. nobody knew until he moved in with us and we started just going crazy. And so all of a sudden we had you know, a, a reactive attachment disorder teenager who's bigger mm-hmm. than me and, you know, can be scary sometimes. And now we have three literal babies, yeah. um, one of whom was heavily withdrawing from drugs. Mm. And so it was just a really, really tough season for us. And I think that a lot of people say it felt, you know, it feels like a blur when they look back, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, it was a blur in a way, but I remember all of those details. I remember being, you know, seven months pregnant and having to get up in the middle of the night with a screaming, withdrawing, tremoring baby. And, um, that was really, really hard those seasons and just learning how to deal with rad and learning how to even diagnose our son, our, our teenager and walk with him through that trauma and, seeing what what our family was actually going to look like and how it was going to look so different than what I had imagined you know I I wanted to be that really cool adoptive family that had a teenager you know he was only 11 years younger than me and I had heard stories of you know young parents adopting teens and how it just went really well for them and mm. I was sure that that was going to be us mm. and it didn't it didn't go that way and that was a loss you know I I just felt like all of my passion had gone away and um, in the blink of an eye and I didn't know where God was in this anymore. I didn't know um, what I was supposed to do. It didn't feel good anymore. And that was when I realized that I'm, you know, a terrible person, just like everyone is a terrible person deep down and that I had been doing so much of it for me Mm. and not, um, not for God, not for, Clark, not, you know, not for any of that. And just realizing how selfish I really am and having to grieve losses that I didn't think I would have to grieve and walk through that and, um, become trauma informed, which is a whole other thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a really, it's been a really crazy journey. You know, we had to do, uh, inpatient treatment for Clark at one point and, um, now he doesn't live with us anymore. He is, uh, uh, technically an adult so he has moved out and launched and that was a whole other journey so I feel like we've lived an entire lifetime yeah. of stuff in just but we've we've been parents for five years now and that wow. all of that has happened within five years yeah oh my goodness so you received basically you went from zero kids to four kids in what amount of time and 16 months <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> yeah that is absolutely wild okay Wow, that's um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's so much. I want to just kind of back up and and talk about a couple of those things. Sure. Um, first of all, what's um, what's Heart Gallery? I'm not familiar with that. Okay, so Heart Gallery is called different things in different states, um, but there is actually a national Heart Gallery. Okay. So it's just um, it's it's a it's a um, catalog which. I don't know that that's the correct word to use, but it's kind of a, or a directory of waiting children. So these are kids who are post-TPR or termination of parental rights and available for adoption through foster care. Um, and so it'll give like their photo and a little bit of a bio and then um, and it'll show, you know, it'll have like their caseworker's name that you can contact to see if you're a match for that child. Okay. And did you plan on... Um... Adopt or yeah, adopting a teenager was that the plan? No, not really. You know, when we were thinking older kids, we were thinking like seven, eight. You know, um, 
in that age range. And it just happened that way that he was 13 when we met him. Um, we had some kids before him that we were seeking after and their photo was old. So when we looked Mm. at it, they were, you know, seven, eight, nine. And then when we got the inquiry back, we found out that they were 12 and 13 years old. And so we had to decide, you know, is that too old or are we going to proceed? And so that was kind of like our, our gateway drug, so to speak (laughs) into the teen world, Uh (laughs) because obviously it didn't work out with those two boys, but we were like, well, here we are looking at teens now. Right. And then with, with kids who are at that age do they what's the process like are they choosing you as well is it um, like a mutual agreement or how does that work yeah so in our state um we live in arkansas and our state allows kids 10 and older to have a say in their own adoption so he um you know we did it we did two different adoptions we even though they were biological half-brothers we adopted them separately Mm -hmm. and so when we adopted Clark it was so different because the judge had him stand up and he had to sign his own adoption papers as well and give his consent Um, but with our son Brock who was a baby um, that that didn't happen so yeah okay yeah and um, you you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but did you have any direct contact with the birth mother no um and i i don't mind answering this because it's actually a really interesting story um you know we had such a negative view of her because we saw the results of her um just i don't know the the, her wrongdoings Mm -hmm. and that was really hard you know we saw abuse in clark and we saw drug addiction and rock and and how that manifested over their lives and that was really hard stuff. And so it was, it was easy to have a lot of anger toward her. Um, and we, they were both post TPR. So we didn't, we didn't have any visitation or anything like that. Um, but with rocks adoption, it was a little bit different because we actually did go through TPR with her, um, or not with her, but with him in our home. And we didn't ever have any visitation because she was actually in prison. And so, we didn't think we would ever see her. And then we showed up for court one day and, um, and she was there. Mm. She had a prison transport and just looking at her and seeing the sadness in her Mm. eyes. And we didn't know why she was there. You know, we were even a little bit like scared. We were like, what is she doing here? And, um, what does this mean? And they took us back into a different room and we looked at, you know, we looked at her and she and I locked eyes. And I think both of us were like, we knew who each other was, but we weren't, we'd never met, we never had any contact. And so we didn't, um, just seeing that sadness will, mm-hmm. I will always remember that. And then yeah. we went back into a room and they said she was there to sign her rights over to us. Um, mm-hmm. which was just heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time to see someone who I had demonized so much do something mm-hmm. so selfless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we went back out, she was gone. And so, um, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just yeah. a really interesting like side story in our journey yeah for sure um okay now i want to this could be a whole other episode maybe we'll have you back on to go in depth with us but (laughs) but um just i don't i don't think we've ever on my podcast talked about rad could you just explain what it is and um like how you when you start to sense that 
that might be a possibility for Clark and how that was diagnosed and, and how that looked. Sure. And I, you know, the disclaimer, I know a lot about rad because I've had to know a lot about rad. And also we just, we talk about it on my podcast as well. So I've had to learn a lot, but I am not Mm -hmm. a counselor or anything like that. So, uh, do not, (laughs) do not DM me if I say anything wrong. Um, (laughs) but, uh, reactive attachment disorder is a, um, it's a, it's an actual like damaging of the pathways in your brain like and I'm talking physical pathways you could like see them under a microscope Mm. so the pathways that form connections with other people are are severed and they're damaged to where a person with reactive attachment disorder or rad uh, can no longer form those connections naturally and so that was something that I had to learn because I am such a like power through it kind of person and Mm -hmm. I had to realize that it's not that Clark wouldn't or didn't want to, he couldn't, like his brain didn't do that. Mm. And that was really hard. Um, it just, so just to learn and realize that that was not, that was a physical limitation. Um, but it makes it really hard. So, I mean, to put it in layman's terms and this is not politically correct, but you think of someone who's like a sociopath, um, right? Like they can't, they don't feel empathy toward others. They don't, um, and that, that, the PC term for that is antisocial now, but rad is like the childhood version of that. So you have someone that can't, um, they've learned how to fake it really, really well. Mm. Um, they've learned how to, to, um, get sympathy or get people on their sides or get what they want or manipulate people, um, like just professional level stuff. Mm -hmm. Like it's, they're very good at that. Um, and that's what we saw. We saw Clark acting, completely differently to other people than he would to us. And I'm not talking just like outbursts because Mm. it wasn't, it was way more manipulative than that. And if you read blogs or listen to, um, you know, talks or something on reactive attachment disorder, the most common thing that parents feel is like they're going insane. Mm. Um, and not like, you know, I have, I have biological kids who are neurotypical. And when I say like, I'm going insane, I mean, because they're throwing fits or, you know, it's just a lot of noise or something like that. But with rad it's like you're going actually insane like you start questioning your own mental capabilities where you're like am i making this up am i crazy are all these other people right am i just not seeing something um is there something wrong with me and um and we felt that we felt that so much you know we we were just at the end of our rope and we didn't we didn't know nobody had told us nobody knew he had rad um, and we hadn't done the research on it because remember we had checked that box. No, right. <laughs> but we did not think this was going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we, we were, I mean, we were not ready necessarily to, to send him off or something like that, but we were definitely getting to the point where we were considering it. And we were like, this is, we can't do this anymore. This is destroying our family. It's destroying our marriage. It's destroying our house. Um, it's destroying our own like capacities and mental capabilities. And we, um, we reached out to a local organization who just does like adoptive family support and they sent over their in-house counselor and she was able to tell us this is exactly what's going on. And that was the first time I mean, this was, we were probably a year in at this point and she explained everything that was going on inside his brain, everything that was going on in our heads. And for the first time ever, we felt like somebody got it and somebody Mm. believed us, um, 
that we weren't crazy. And that was just so grace giving. And then Mm -hmm. we were able to take some steps forward. You know, we had him in counseling with someone who is not trauma informed. And we realized that that is a big deal. Having a counselor who is trauma informed, who can see past the BS, who can, um, who can walk your child through what their brain is doing and what their, you know, external life is doing. Mm -hmm. And, put those two together and into a counseling plan. And that was huge. So we were able to make those adjustments and able to just have a diagnosis and have something to research was huge for us. And just uh, reaching out to other rad families and um, being able to join like, you know, rad Facebook groups and stuff like that. Um, And then the biggest thing that came out of that was seeking counseling for ourselves. Cause before this we were not, um, and just realizing that this was this was more than we could handle yeah. and that we needed help in a lot of different ways. But counseling was going to be huge for that. And so that really started our journey of understanding RAD and understanding what we were dealing with um, and understanding how our story was going to look differently than we had ever imagined and what other people in our community had imagined for us. And that's still a constant battle when people are asking, you know, how's Clark doing? What's going on with him? And I have to piece together. Did they want the real answer or did they want the Mm -hmm. pretty answer? Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and some of those steps that we had to take were hard. Um, you know, like I said, we had to do inpatient treatment for him. He was there for seven months And that was, that was after we, you know, we had to get law enforcement involved in a situation and that was really scary. And that is when we decided to seek inpatient treatment for him. And when he came back, we had to make some changes for our family. And one of those was that I had to take a step back and that was really hard for me. Uh, I don't know if you talk about the Enneagram a lot on your Mm -hmm. podcast, but I am a one. Me too. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm a doer. I am a very, like, capable person, and I want to have my hands in everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I to, to be able to mm-hmm. say that I had to take a step back, that was really hard for me, yeah. uh, especially because it was my passion that got us here. And my husband was, of course, on board. But, you know, I was I, I was always imagining that I would be the person in the weeds. And um, mm-hmm. To, to have to, we, we realized that since a lot of his trauma came from his biological mother, that he was never going to respond to me positively. Yeah. And so having to make the decision that my husband, Brian, was going to have to be the sole parent for him was really interesting um, in, in realizing that that was okay, that our family could look different than we imagined or than society says it should, and that that was okay was another grieving process. And, um, I don't know, it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot of, um, having to daily check myself and say, this isn't normal and it's okay. This isn't how it should be quote unquote. And that's okay. Uh, he doesn't call us mom and dad and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't actually parent him and that's okay. Um, and just, I, I think that just realizing that our, we didn't color inside the lines and we couldn't, but that was how we were going to get by. And that was what God had for us. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That was, that was a really interesting process and that was a, it was a grieving process, but it was also, um, it was also really cool. And just to be able to turn and share that and 
through sharing that on things like my podcast and my blog and speaking stuff, um, seeing women come out of the woodwork, just saying me too, Mm. um, has been just a really humbling experience and, um, really sacred. And I love that. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's something that's so common in, um, especially our world is that when you're, when you, when reality doesn't fit your expectations and that, that grieving process is so common and yeah, we just need to be able to share that with each other and, and know that that's a normal part of, of this life and, and walking through that. Um, walk us through a little bit of that, like realizing that this wasn't going to be maybe what you envisioned. Sure. Yeah. I think that, I think that some of our first signs were just that he, um, like I said, just the, the, the performance outside of our home versus inside of our home. Um, we, we saw him changing a lot, like, um, not changing from one place to another, but changing all over the place. He was trying desperately to figure out what we wanted him to be. And that was really weird. And it felt, I mean, you're a one too, so we can sniff out fakeness really well. Mm -hmm. And so just that felt really weird to me to see him. I, I don't know, kind of just be a little like con artist, which again is not PC or whatever, but it was like, just, it was weird to watch him change his views on things or change his personality based on what he thought we wanted him to be. And, um, that was like a daily thing and And just seeing those survival thing for him. Absolutely. Um, and realizing that too, just that like, you know, uh, that was another journey for me throughout this was realizing that, um, learning to appreciate that in him, even if I didn't like it, Mm. um, Mm -hmm. learning that like, even though I hate the lies, at one point that helped him stay alive. Um, and that learning how to do that was a survival technique and trying to shift my focus to walking him through like, Hey, it's not the key to survival anymore. And, um, and I, I think that he learned that a little bit. I think it's going to be a continuing journey for him as he's navigating adulthood now. But, um, yeah, just seeing those things early on and not really knowing what was going on or why, um, why we were seeing those behaviors in our home was interesting. Um, and it, it led to doing a lot of research. It led to, um, realizing my own just sin that was in my, in me and realizing the bitterness that could build up if I let it and, um, navigating that. And that's one thing I always say on my podcast or just in my platform is saying, you know, adoption has been as much for me as it was for them. And I get a lot of criticism for that, but I say, you know, I think that God refines us through our junk and through our hard times. And that I think that to say that we shouldn't get anything out of a difficult experience, that it's all for someone else. I think that that's naive. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's why my podcast exists, just to grace the other side of things. I think that um, we have to have eyes on our kids so much, and that's great, but we can't survive if no one's eyes are on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that, in, in realizing just what self-care actually means and what I actually need and how mm-hmm. um, how to communicate that to others, and I had to be knocked off my pedestal a little bit and ask for <laughs> and accept help. 
mm-hmm. which is not natural to me. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that just realizing that it was a process and that it wasn't going to happen overnight and that um, my like fire under my feet to get us to this place it was going to have to be a lot slower burn, a lot um, more of a trusting faith jump experience going forward. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, lots of lots of grievances in that journey, just having to grieve the loss of my expectations over and over and over again. Yeah. I remember that that feeling too of like, like I can do, I can get us through this. I can handle this burden for us and. You just come to a point where you're like, actually, no, I, I really can't. And yeah. <laughs> and that's going to have to be okay with everybody. <laughs> what what sort of difference has counseling made for your family? Counseling has been life-saving for our family. Um, we still go every week, and we went separately for a while. Uh, I started seeing a counselor, and my husband, I was like, you need to see her too because we both need this. And so he started seeing her separately and we were both, you know, mainly talking about our son, um, mainly talking about our journey and our story and where we were at and um, how to make it through this and come out alive on the other side. And eventually our counselor um, told us, I think that we could combine your sessions. And both of us were like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) not that we didn't want to be in counseling together, but it was more just like, I think that we both, cherished that time Mm -hmm. that was just about us Mm -hmm. uh, individually and so we were like okay we'll try it and so we did we combined and it ended up being such a blessing Mm -hmm. and when I say that we go to counseling I think a lot of people think it's just marriage counseling um and and a lot of times you know most of the time she does pull it back to our marriage and how is your marriage through this and and I that's been such a blessing but also a lot of the time it's just how we walk through the really hard things going on in our lives Um, the really hard things that we've said yes to and how we do that together. Mm -hmm. And it's been, like I said, life-changing. I don't Mm -hmm. think we could be in the place we are without counseling. And at one point our counselor said, um, do you want to, you know, lessen your frequency, do like every other week or once a month? And we were both like, uh, no, (laughs) next question. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you? Yeah, we were like, this is the like good thing that we have in our lives right now, and we yeah. are not changing that. And so, um, you know, and that was that was a year ago. So we might change the frequency in the near, you know, near future. But we're in so much of a better place that I think that one thing that we realize is that we will always have counseling in our lives, whether or yeah. not it's every week or once a quarter or every month. And that's something I say on my podcast all the time is that if you are an adoptive mom, you need to be in counseling Mm -hmm. because how could you not? I mean, we are, we're facing trauma and just hard stuff all day long. And even if we don't feel that moment to moment, it's there Mm -hmm. and it's, it's happening and we can't just ignore it or pretend that it doesn't exist. And without dealing with it, it's going to come out somehow. Right. So yeah. Um, I just think it's so important for everyone to be talking to someone else who is trauma-informed. That's the biggest thing. Who is trauma-informed and knows what you're going through. And our counselor is actually also an adoptive mom. So that's an even cooler just extra thing. Okay, so how did you – so you have um, four kids in your home and you think, I should start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Let's add a podcast to this mix. How did that that start? And I know you you have or had a blog at some point, so – how did you start that? Yeah, um, I blogged 
for a long time, even before we had kids. And I've always really liked writing and speaking. And um, I've also always been a really transparent person. And so I felt like if I didn't share, it would just kind of burn inside me. Like I had to get it out. Mm. So for a long time, that was blogging. And then as we started adopting, I realized that I pulled back. Mm. I didn't. And it wasn't that it wasn't for privacy or anything like that. It was because I didn't know how to go through what we were going through publicly. I didn't know how to share that. And it felt too painful to um, process it. Mm-hmm. So it was just easier to not. And so I would share a little bit. I would write a little bit. But eventually I just stopped. And um, and that just, like I said, it caused it all to just kind of stockpile inside me and it was just burning. Like it had to get out and I had to share somehow, but maybe it didn't look like writing anymore. Um, because at that point people were not reading blogs anymore, really. And so, um, I had this idea, you know, uh, it's a funny story. I was, we were driving back from vacation and we thought that, driving through the night would be a really great idea because then our kids would sleep, right? Um, <laughs> they did not. <laughs> so it was, you know, they, they slept off and on, but it was not like they slept normally and then we were home. Um, and so I was taking a night shift and it was actually quiet for a few minutes and I had this idea for a podcast um, that had, like I said, eyes on the adoptive mom, eyes on on us who are, are carrying the heaviest loads here. And... um. I woke my husband up really excited because he was already podcasting. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I have this idea. And he just, like, went back to sleep. Mm, that's <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll talk about it in the morning. It's fine. And so the rest of the drive, I'm just thinking of all these ideas and who I could interview and how the show could go and all this stuff. And then in the morning, I said, so do you remember what I talked to you about last night? And he said, nope. And so I had to <laughs> tell him all over again. And I was like, wouldn't that be really cool to do, like, in a few years? You know, when things are settled down. Um, this was in 2017, so my kids would have been three, two, and two, and then Clark would have been 16, I guess. Um, and so Brian said, no, um, we're going to do it now. So a month later, I launched the Adoptive Mom podcast, wow. and that was, yeah, it's been a really wild ride, and it's been so good for me. It's been really great for me to have um, some accountability, maybe just, you know, we put the show out every week. And so mm-hmm. it's like, I have to, I have to ship it. And that keeps me accountable to sharing my stuff and to talking about it. And, um, I don't know, to, to giving back into being able to process those things, even when I don't want to, and really just, um, through, giving others the opportunity to process their stuff or to share their stuff. It's, it's really helped me to see, you know, I'm not alone and other people are dealing with this and me sharing my pain and my struggles and my journey is helping other people. And that's, that's, that's good. You know, yeah. that's, that's what this is all about is being able to band together and say, we're, we're in this together. And, and that helps us to keep going and do it more, which, you know, a lot of people look at this and they're like, why would you do that again? Why would you say yes again? And, um, we, you know, if you look at it on paper, we shouldn't be able to, we should be like, we were crazy the first time we're not doing it again, but it's through sharing. It's through healing that we're able to say yes over and over and over again. What kind of episodes do you have on your podcast? Everything. So I always, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 
I share a lot of different things. Um, it's not just adoptive moms. Um, it's also, I have birth moms, I have counselors, I have, um, uh, I do a dad's episode every season, which is really fun. <laughs> uh, my husband hosts it. And so he interviews another adoptive dad and, um, I call it like the dudes who adopt That's takeover awesome. week and everyone love really loves that, uh-huh. which I love. Um, and I, I interview men as well, just adoptive dads and, um, single parents and all just just all different kinds of people who are walking their their journeys on this adoption thing and um I always I always want to know their story but then I I always try to pull from their story a topic or something that they're an expert on that they can share with us always through the lens of gracing the adoptive mom so whenever I have you know I did a trauma series and we talked about rad and oppositional defiance disorder and fetal alcohol syndrome in that three-part series and none of the people I interviewed are adoptive moms but Mm. they were able to share things that could grace adoptive moms and just explain like hey you're not crazy this is actually what's going on Um, and I had so many people reach out to me and say that that was such a blessing to them that they didn't realize that their kids may need impatient they didn't Mm -hmm. realize that they were seeing a counselor who was not trauma informed and Mm -hmm. stuff like that Um, so yeah just a little bit of everything I love I try to do a birth mom episode every season just to be able to share the other side of this adoption triad and how important that is um I interview support systems. Those are some of my favorite episodes, just talking to, um, like, bio siblings and friends and grandparents and, uh, you know, what what their version of our journeys is. So, yeah, just yeah. trying to have a really eclectic mm-hmm. um, lineup to give us a full 360 view. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I'm looking through right now your episodes, and you have 78 episodes up, so... Um, to the listeners out there, definitely go check this out and just scroll through and start adding stuff that sounds exciting to you because <laughs> there's so much here. It's awesome. Yeah, okay. and I, I get to interview some really fun people too, um, just authors. And I got to interview Leanne Tui, which was so fun. Um, and just, just people who have really, really cool stories. Yeah, that's great. I have a couple more questions for you. What is your advice or thoughts to people who are considering older child adoption? My biggest piece of encouragement for those of you considering older child adoption is just manage your expectations on the front end. Um, these kids, they need us. They need families. They need permanency. Um, but I think that the biggest disservice that I did to our son was planning out our adoption journey ahead of time or having an idea of how it was going to go or um, having expectations that were just not fair to either of us. Um, and one of those things, I mean, as silly as it is, I, I stopped caring very quickly whether or not he called us mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm really grateful for that because that would have been an uphill battle if I had held on to that expectation for very long. But um, stuff like that, like, it doesn't, that doesn't make you any less their right. parents. Right. Um, so things like that are things like, um, if they have a trauma disorder, um, learning about those things, like learn about it on the front end. You know, I always joke, I, I'm a, I'm a person, I like to be really prepared for stuff. And so when I was pregnant the first time, I watched all the labor videos. Like <laughs> I wanted to know what I was about to do and what I was about to go through. Um, you know what I did not watch? 
C-section videos. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what did I have? A C-section. Oh, so <laughs> I was so unprepared and I was mm. like, well, this I did not prepare for. And so if you only prepare for the, the pretty stuff or the fun stuff or the things that you want to happen, then mm-hmm. you're doing a disservice to yourself. You know, I wish I had done right. so much more research on rad, but in my mind, mm. I was like, well, that's not going to happen. So I don't need to waste my time right. there. You didn't but, check the box. <laughs> Right. (laughs) And so um, manage your expectations on the front end and realize that this is probably not going to look the way you think it is. And that's okay. To the parent who has multiple children, multiple ages, a mix of biological, adoptive, foster, whatever, and it's just chaos right now. um, What do you say to that parent? I say reach out to help, and I mean real help, not like um, get people to bring you meals, although that's great, but that's not going to help you long term. Mm-hmm. Um, that's putting a Band-Aid on it, and instead, reach out for what's really going to help you. Reach out to um, a local adoption support organization, reach out to me, reach out to Candace. reach out to someone who gets it and who can point you in the right direction to a counselor who understands, to a treatment center who understands, to um, whatever that's going to look like in your area. And I, I try really hard to learn about, you know, different areas and what resources they have available, um, not just in Arkansas where I live, but all over the country and um, really all over the world. And so being able to find those resources and find what's actually going to keep you in the game um, is going to be key because otherwise you're going to burn out. Everyone does. Everyone has a a limit. Even if your limit is really high, it's still there. Well, thank you so much, Alex. This was um, just awesome to hear from you, hear your experiences. Um, Where We know where to find the podcast, but where can we find you on social media? So I'm on Facebook at the Adoptive Mom Podcast or at just Alex Fitton for my personal one and then on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. Um, you can also find me on at the Adoptive Mom Podcast.com. Try to keep it really simple. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that covers all the bases there. Um, I have a, a newsletter that goes out every Monday. I have Patreon. Wow. I have lots of stuff going on. So um, all of that can just be found at the Adoptive Mom Podcast.com. That's awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much. You're the best. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. And you guys, look forward to Candace's episode on the Adopted Mom Podcast soon, too. Yay! And that's our episode this week. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. Definitely follow Alex, the Adoptive Mom, um, on podcasts, social media, everywhere you can. And I'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. Yeah.